Top items on this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Number one, Thanksgiving recap. Number two, the World Cup. USA, big game today. Number three, real meat good, lab meat, no thank you. And number four, beta bad date tale. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage, crafted through centuries of traditions. Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage, available at DavidoffGeneva.com and by Gurkha. The world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Revenant, the five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha can deliver. Offered in Corojo, Maduro, and now Connecticut presentations. Fire up a Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. This is the Cigar Dave Show with the General. Post-Thanksgiving week, hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. As always, it is Cigar Dave, your global five-star general, alpha male in chief, front and center from Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A, extending you a long-ash greeting and salutation, a long-ash snappy salute, semper delictatio, always pleasure, long live the alpha, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, hashtag save America. It is always a... Great time of year. Football is really, we've got college football playoffs that are coming up, all the championship games, NFL, the teams that are going to run, make that playoff run. And then we go into the holiday season. Thanksgiving kicks off the Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's season. So much going on. But let's talk about Thanksgiving first. Can't leave it just yet. First off, Sergeant Steve, how was your Thanksgiving, by the way? It was fantastic. Excellent. Now, with the bird. I believe you said you were going to do it on the big green egg. That is correct. We smoked it on the big green egg. Now, do you spatchcock it or just put the whole turkey on? Just put the whole turkey on. All right. And uh, how long? I did it at 325 this year. It was a 16-pound bird. It took just over three hours. I also had a a 16-pound. I actually wanted to get uh, a larger bird, 18 to 20. There There is a shortage of larger turkeys this year. So I ended up getting a 16-pounder, and I fried it. Now, let me ask you, before you put that turkey on the, on the big green egg, mm-hmm. did, you, did you brine it? Did you inject it? Brined it overnight. Brined it overnight. Okay. No injections, though? No. All right. Got a little secret here. So I fried my turkey. I used the Butterball Masterbuilt Electric Turkey Fryer. Absolutely fantastic. Easy. Cannot go wrong. Uh, 375 degrees it takes about you've got to figure it's going to take about an hour to heat up the oil so basically while the buffalo bills my buffalo bills were playing the detroit lions they uh right around the early third quarter i turned it on and by the time the you know, mid fourth quarter was was underway it was ready for me to submerge the bird 375 degrees, and I fin- I figure three minutes per pound plus two minutes. So whatever your turkey, if it's a 10-pound turkey, figure three minutes per pound. So 10 times three is 30 minutes, and add two minutes on top of that, no matter what size. Works like a charm. The instruction manuals, and if you go online, they'll say three and a half to four minutes, way overcooks the bird. But little little tip that I did this year, 
Normally, I'll inject it with yeah, maybe just a little bit of uh, Jack Daniels. This year, right before I, after I took it out of the brine, let it sit room temperature, had it all seasoned, I injected heavily with apple cider, chicken stock, and Jack Daniels. And I will tell you, it was the juiciest bird ever that I have fried. And this is now probably the 10th year that I have been frying the bird. I had guests over. They could not believe how succulent, tender, juicy the turkey is. So, Sergeant Steve, next year you got to try the apple cider, chicken stock, Jack Daniels mix. Works like a charm. So, it took you, th what, three hours, you said? Yeah, just over three hours. And how was the, uh, and you let it rest for what, about a half an hour or something like that? Yeah, right about 30 minutes, yep. And how did it, so it turned out great? Fantastic. And what kind of wood did you use on there? I used hickory chips that uh, soaked in uh, apple juice and Jack Daniels. Oh, perfect. Fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, I, you know what? I've always thought about smoking, but it's just so easy to fry it. But maybe next year I'll do both in any event. So Thanksgiving turkey. Fantastic. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. As always, we had football. And once again this year, the Buffalo Bills, my Buffalo Bills, played on Thanksgiving Day. I think this is three out of the last four years, if I'm not mistaken. Last Thanksgiving, they played the primetime game against New Orleans. This year, it was the 12:30 early game on CBS against Detroit. And Detroit actually far improved. They gave the Bills a tough time. And the Bills had a really, they had to play two games in four days. And both of them were in Detroit because the big uh, snowstorm, the lake effect snowstorm, six feet of snow around Orchard Park where the Bills uh, Stadium is located, just absolutely inundated the stadium, the players who live out in Orchard Park. So it was, they couldn't play it, just couldn't clear the, the, the roads, couldn't clear the stadium. So they had to go to Detroit and Detroit rolled out the welcome wagon and welcome mat, but still tough. Two road games in four days. Uh, two nights ago, or correction, last night, because we're recording this on Friday, Friday, December 2nd, even though this is dropping Saturday, December 3rd, and I'll tell you why in just a few minutes. But last night, Thursday night, my Bills played the New England Patriots, destroyed them. Three games in 12 days. Sergeant Steve, you are a football fan. I don't care what the team is. Three games in 12 days is pretty stiff when you're normally looking at three games in 21 days. Yeah, that's not good for their recovery. Um, no. What these athletes so, do is incredible. Yeah, well, the, the Bills played on Thanksgiving, and in a schedule quirk, they scheduled them with New England again on Thursday, a week later. Normally, after that Thanksgiving game, you get 10 days. Well, now the Bills will get 10 days of rest. So Josh Allen last night, postgame, was saying, look, we all need the rest, recovery, you know, but the fact that we went 3-0 and on the road, they played four out of the 12 total games on the road. So now they're at home for two weeks. And then uh, they go on the road. And I think, Sergeant Steve, don't they play the Cincinnati Bengals? I think either – I'm not sure where they play. I'm not sure if they play in Buffalo or they play in Cincinnati this year. Yeah, that game's coming up. Yeah, I think – isn't that the, one of the last games of the season? I'm trying to remember when that game is. Yeah, and I have a feeling the Bills-Dolphins game is going to be flexed into prime time uh, in two weeks because that could be an AFC – East that could decide who takes the the lead, but we'll see. But it's in January, any event, January second in Cincinnati, in Cincinnati. Okay, that's the final game of the season, isn't it? No, the Raven. They play the Ravens the next week. The season because it's now eighteen weeks goes all the way to Jan or uh, January eighth. Okay. So the Bills wrap up at home. I 
I can't remember. I think maybe against New England. I'm not sure. But in any event, they are at least home and uh, just crazy. I mean, three games in 12 days, that's just... That's just that's rough, but in any event, so they come out three and zero, and so it was a great Thanksgiving. Once the Bills win, you know, if the Bills would have lost, it would have been really kind of a depressing Thanksgiving. But it was very good, uh, great food, great libations, great cigars, and so a great camaraderie, uh, great family time. So hope your Thanksgiving was great. All right, now I mentioned that we are recording the show that is dropping Saturday, December third, on Friday, December second. Why? Well, the U.S., and I'm not a big soccer fan. Sergeant Steve, you would admit I'm not the hugest of soccer fans. But for World Cup, if the USA is in it, I'll get, I'll get interested. Although the 0-0 games, I'm sorry, just way the hell too boring. We need some scoring. Increase the size of the net, do something. But, geez, I mean, these 0-0 games are just miserable, brutal. Well, the U.S. whacked. Well, when I say whacked, it was one nothing against Iran. It should have been 2 nothing, but they came up with some cockamamie offsides. But in any event, the U.S. team beats Iran one nothing, and they advance to the round of the knockout round, round of 16, where basically you win, you move on, lose, you're done. It's kind of like the NCAA tournament now. And so the World Cup uh, game against the Netherlands, 9 o'clock, as you listen to this, Saturday morning. So we want to watch the game. Sergeant Steve, you want to watch the game. I want to watch the game. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to root properly. It actually so starts at 10. The pregame oh, starts at 10? I thought it was 9 o'clock. Well, the pregame starts at oh, 9. Pre-game. That's what okay. they're so, so 10 a.m. So nonetheless, we wanted to watch it, so we decided we will record on Friday. This way, we are unencumbered in being able to watch the game. So we will see what happens. Now, some interesting developments in the World Cup. First of all, Netflix has a fantastic documentary called FIFA Uncovered. And FIFA stands for Federation of International, I think, or Football Association. It is the, probably the most corrupt sports organization. Not probably, it is the most corrupt sports organization in the world, in the universe. One of the most corrupt organizations in the world, whether sports, business, anything, and it was a fascinating, there's a four or five part documentary talking, really looking into the rise of Shep Blatter, who was the uh, FIFA commissioner, president, whatever they call it, grandmaster for, I don't know, 15, 18 years. But the corruption and the bribery and how all these football federations across the world, the, you know, the North American, Central American uh, uh, uh uh, association, the South America, they're all corrupt. How the payouts, how they all get huge amounts of money. They, they skim the money. Just unbelievable. And how Qatar, which never should have received the World Cup. In fact, they had to move the World Cup because it's so hot in the summer. The World Cup normally plays, I think, around July or August, if I'm not mistaken. But they had to move it to November because of the fact the weather is so horrible in the summer. And they built all these stadiums, and there were bribes and kick. There's all sorts of shady shenanigans that took place. And even Shep Blatter now, who's no longer in power, he was pretty much ousted, said we should have never awarded it to Qatar. It should have been in the United States. The 2022 World Cup, by all accounts, the U.S. was the front runner. They, as numerous directors of FIFA said, 
on this documentary, the U.S. had the best facilities. They had the best uh, hotel. They had the best infrastructure. It was, you know, the best stadiums. So no-brainer. And then Qatar, which doesn't even have, I think they have one stadium, had to build all these stadiums. They magically get it. So it's a fascinating tale in the corruption that is spread. And the FIFA was really developed, was created to promote, as they call it, football. We call it soccer here in the United States. And I prefer to call it soccer because real football is played on the gridiron with, you know, 100 yards, two end zones, and so on. But across the world, they call it football. But one of the missions of FIFA is to develop soccer in the world, you know, youth sports, youth soccer. But the amount of, of just corruption that takes place, they've really gotten away from that mission. And they, they exposed just a ton of stuff. But Qatar gets this. And people are complaining about Qatar. The fact that, first off, you, they said you'd be able to drink beer in the stadium. Then, of course, the hardliners, hardline, hardline uh, Islamists, uh, with the royal family, cut that out. Uh, initially, they didn't want any of the... And again, I'm not a big into the gay pride thing. To me, just play the game. But of course, people are going to bring their flags, and initially they said they weren't going to allow it, then FIFA said, fine, you can allow it. But just to me, Qatar was the absolute wrong place. Wrong time, wrong place. But nonetheless, it is being held there. And so the United States is now into the knockout round of 16 playing the Netherlands. And I think the Netherlands are one of the top-rated teams. Sergeant Steve, aren't they like the top in the top 10, something along those lines? They are eighth in the world, but of course the U.S. faced England in the, in the group stage, and they were fifth in the world. Right, and we tied them 0-0. Yes, Mick the Brit was not happy about that. And, he was, and, I, and, I, and I razzed him. I said, you know, what a boring game, 0-0. Come on, Mick, soccer, 0-0, no scoring? you got to have a goal or a couple of goals. You have to appreciate it, General. You must appreciate the skill, the finesse. All I know is if I had to watch 30 of those games a year, no chance. 0-0, 1-0, just no action. That's why it's, it, it's never taken off fully in the U.S., even though youth play it, college it's gotten popular. There is uh, certainly the professional leagues, the professional league here in the, in the United States that has really grown but to me i just don't get it i don't see it but in any event uh, by the way i have a great post of how to fix soccer what's that sergeant steve i have a great post on how to fix soccer and how's that number one the field is huge shrink it shrink it i agree two too many players on the field limit to three forwards two defenders and a goalie three players should get to come in and out whenever they want don't stop the game four shrink the goal five ice everywhere Wait, what did you say? Ice everywhere? Yeah, it's hockey. Uh, <laughs> Actually, if they took the hockey principles, that would not be a bad idea. But again, there's these purists around the world, and they think it's great. I mean, these Europeans love watching 0-0 games and 1-0 games. I, quite, I just don't get it. But in any event, Netflix documentary, FIFA Uncovered. If you haven't seen it, definitely add it to your list and watch it. Now, the men's team defeated Iran by a score of one to nothing, and they move on. With that win, the U.S. team earned $13 million, and that is should be spread amongst the, you know, you take some for the 
you know, U.S. Uh, Soccer Association or whatever, and then the rest should go to the players. Not so fast. Because the United States men's national soccer team will be splitting their uh, winnings with the U.S. women's team after the big win. And this dates back to a lawsuit that the U.S. women's national team filed many of the players that uh, accused the U.S. Soccer Federation of not paying the women on par with men. And that is absolutely true. And there's a reason, because the women don't bring in the same amount of money as the men's team does. The NBA brings in far more money than the WNBA. NBA player, what's the average salary in the NBA, Sergeant Steve? Like what, three million bucks, something like that? Got to be at least that. Yeah. Average salary in the in the WNBA is maybe three hundred thousand, two fifty, maybe less. In fact, that's one of the reasons why the that um, what's her name Griner, the the women's basketball player who is now arrested and uh, was was uh, was tried and convicted for bringing in an illicit substance in Russia. That's why she was playing over there to earn extra money, and they would get paid, I think, pretty well in the off season. Uh, working there, and many of the female basketball players go overseas to play during the offseason. Well, the lawsuit was settled last year. The women's national team reached a settlement with the U.S. Soccer Federation that guaranteed equal pay with the men's team and offered players millions in back pay, and it ended a six-year fight in the gender discrimination case. The $24 million settlement, $22 million of which went to the players behind the suit, was an admission that the U.S. soccer soccer has not paid its women's team equally. That's correct. And I don't have a problem with that. It's all based upon revenue. Sergeant Steve, do baseball players make more than hockey players? Uh, In total, yes. And I think the average salary is far higher in baseball than it is in hockey. The average, I believe, is the minimum is actually higher in hockey than baseball. But Hmm. Okay. Well, let's take, uh, let's see, maybe the NFL. The, the minimum in the NFL is, I don't even know what the minimum now is. What is it, 600, 700? It's somewhere around there, yeah. What's the minimum in hockey? I think it's 750-ish in that range. Okay. But if you look overall at the revenues that baseball brings in mm-hmm. compared to hockey or football brings in compared to hockey, it's far higher. Mm-hmm. There is no player in the National Hockey League making $45 million a year. But in the National Football League, there are multiple quarterbacks making $40, $45 million a year, far in excess of the highest paid player in the National Hockey League. Why? It is a function of revenue. If the National Hockey League brought in the revenue of the National Football League, the NHL players would make more. It's the same thing with the U.S. men's team and women's team. The men's FIFA World Cup brings in far more revenue than the FIFA Women's uh, uh, World Cup. Just that simple. So in, as part of this agreement, the men's team, by earning $13 million beating Iran, they will split that 50-50 with the women's team. So the women's team gets $6.5 million, The men's team gets $6.5 million. That's $6.5 million for the women to stay home and do nothing and just watch the game is higher. That payout is higher than the last two World Cups won by the U.S. women's national team. 
in 2015, the women's team earned $2 million, and in 2019, when they won the World Cup, they earned $4 million. They made more money in two hours doing absolutely nothing than they did in the previous two tournaments. Now, to me, I don't think that's fair for the men's team. I think the men's team should absolutely have the right to earn it all. If, the women's, if women's soccer want to earn more money, then go out, get more sponsorships, develop the game more, do more to make it more popular. But to me, this is, this is, so pure, this is 100% pure socialism. This is a perfect example, 100% example of socialism. Men's team plays, they win, 13 million comes their way, but they have to divvy it up 50-50 with the, US, with the women's team. Now, Sergeant Steve, you mentioned that the women's team has to split it with the men as well. Big deal. Even if they win 4 million or 5 million next year, if the women win 5 million, that's 2.5 million to the men, 2.5 to the women. The men are still carrying the load. I thought women were all about equality. I thought women basically believe that they should have the right to earn, that there should be no glass ceiling. I mean, they didn't want to rely on men. I mean, what do the women's, the feminists say? We don't need men. We don't need to rely on men. Well, they're relying on men to get their share of what the, of what the men win. So to me, I think it is incredibly unfair to the men. It's great for the women, pure socialism, but it is not fair as far as I'm concerned. And if the U.S. defeats the Netherlands, I don't know what the payout is. What It's got to be more than $13 million, Sergeant Steve. Uh, I haven't seen what if they advance to the uh, quarterfinals what it would be. Yeah, but it's got about even if it's thirteen million, there's another six and a half million in women's coffers. The team for doing absolutely nothing. That is not fair. It's biased against men. Now this is an interesting development here. The Spanish manager they they call their coaches their head coaches the manager, kind of like baseball. Louis Enrique is the manager of the Spanish national team. And he has one strict and completely rule, run strict rule for his team. He has no problem with players having sex the night before matches. However, he has a strict prohibition against his players entering into orgies the night before a match. He says... There's one line none of my players are allowed to cross. No orgies the night before a match. Now, the fact that he was honest and admitted this, this is fantastic. No orgies the night before a match. Saying it's normal to have sex in your own house, but the moment you bring a second or a third, I mean, let's face it, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, it's a problem. They beat Costa Rica, the Spanish national team, 7-0. So clearly the no orgy rule worked. However... On Thursday, the Spanish team lost to Japan 2-1. to one. And you know what the moral of the story is? It's okay not to have an orgy one time before a game, but on your second game, it is highly advisable to have an orgy with as many dames as possible because that gives you the added stamina and excitement and vigor to go out and win another game. Spain is knocked out in the in the in the. First round. I mean, basically, they're done. They're finished. They go home. And uh, the Japanese spectators, they were crying. I mean, was Sergeant Steve, was this a big upset? I mean, you know more about soccer than I do. This must have been a big upset. 
Uh, yeah, for Spain, uh, I mean, Spain advanced in the tournament, but they lost that game to Japan. So they finished second. Oh, they second did advance. The group. Oh, yeah, okay. They, so that, so yeah. they were already in the – okay, got it. Got yeah, it. So they, they were already they in the They did advance. Rounds, they, they're, they finished second in their group to Japan. Okay, got it. So they're, yep. so they're done. So they did advance, but in the knockout game, they're out. So Japan with the upset over Spain. The moral of the story, always have an orgy before the second game in a tournament. It probably – who knows – to me, if they beat Costa Rica 7 nothing, maybe if they had the orgy, maybe they'd beat them 14 nothing. You never know. In any event, I thought it was quite human. Can you imagine an NFL coach? Can you imagine like a Bill Belichick saying, I have no problem with my team having sex the night before a game. However, I do uh, ask them to refrain from having orgies. I mean, could you imagine seeing that in the NFL? Never. But in Europe, no problem. That's how they roll. In any event, uh, had they had the orgy, probably would have won. All right, the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony is coming your way next. We will celebrate with a cigar, the American victory against Iran, and hopefully, hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, we will have had an American win over the Netherlands. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers... Full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. All right, I have just pulled out... From one of the thousands of cigars here at Humidor 1A, the La Palina Black Label. I'm going to pair a nice cigar with a nice libation, and this cigar will go very nicely with the libation I have chosen. So the La Palina Black Label, La Palina Interesting History. The brand goes back to the late 1800s when Samuel Paley immigrated to Chicago from the Ukraine and immediately found work as a lector in a cigar factory. In 1896, Sam Paley, known as Mr. Sam, owned his uh, own factory with a cigar store nearby in Philadelphia, and the rest is history. But what is interesting is that the money that was generated from La Polina Cigars, the Paley family, ended up funding their purchase of the Columbia Broadcasting System, CBS. William Paley, the grandson of Samuel Paley, was running the company while his father was, uh, I think, out in Europe or somewhere for a month and started advertising locally on the Columbia Broadcasting System radio station in Philadelphia. And it was so successful, he saw the opportunity to expand the advertising and then had the brilliant idea, let's just go ahead and buy the Columbia Broadcasting System. CBS, the rest is history. And his, uh, uh, William Paley's son, Bill, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, said, I want to bring the La Polina back to life, and he did. So the La Polina now is a nice boutique cigar manufacturer, makes some great cigars. The La Polina Black Label features an ultra-dark 
Brazilian Bahiano wrapper. It is loaded with oiliness, just very silky smooth to the touch. It's got some nice long leaf, long filler Lajeros from Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic. And when you put them all together, you've got a cigar that is nice. It is bold, notes of espresso, notes of some cocoa. Definitely a full-bodied, very rich cigar. Comes in two different sizes, the Robusto and the Gordo. I have selected the Gordo. Six inches in length with a 60 ring gauge. So this is a very, very big cigar. And you are looking at about 11 bucks suggested retail for this cigar. So nice looking stick, the La Polina Black Label Gordo, my cigar selection today. Cigar altering and highly sharpened leaf exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. You can hear the long jet flame, the massive jet flame. This is the grenade from the Cigar Dave R&D Labs. Looks like a grenade, feels like a grenade. Big, single, jet, butane flame. I could just keep this on for probably the next three hours and not run out of butane. So this is a massive lightation device, and that's what I will use today. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. Let me toast the foot of this massive Gordo. Six inches in length, 60 ring gauge, which is 60 64ths of an inch, almost an inch in diameter. Dark looking cigar, tons of oiliness. I mean, it's like a chocolate bar, you could eat it. Let me just gently toast the foot of this cigar, taking my time again. We wanna toast the wrapper first, then the binder and filler. So we're gonna basically rotate the cigar. I've got the flame at a 45 degree angle, just about maybe an inch from the cigar itself. I'm not putting the flame into the cigar, the foot of the cigar. I want heat to cause combustion, not the flame. All right, now I'm going to toast the binder and the filler. And again, when you're talking about a 60 ring gauge, almost an inch in diameter, you got to give this time. All right, I can see the orange glow. Now I will puff and rotate. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm. on the foot of the cigar. Okay, I've got just a couple of black spots. Maybe they're not properly lit. So now I'll puff and rotate again. Mm. Boil out once. Let it sit. Blow on the foot of the cigar. Perfect, even amber glow. Absolutely fantastic. Let me take a few puffs. Mm. Oh yeah, very, very rich, no doubt about it. Mm. I need the proper accompaniment. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, while I went to go pick up some libations, just fill in some miscellaneous bottles, including some Gentleman Jack and Jack Daniels, uh, the day before Thanksgiving, I said, you know, I'm in the mood for a little rum. And I decided I was going to pick up a bottle of Bacardi Añejo Cuatro. Aged four years. Añejo, we know in Spanish, means aged. We see uh, various tequilas that are Añejo. There's Blanco, which is white. Then there's Añejo, which is aged. 
And what is interesting is the Bacardi rum, their base rum, the Superior, is a Blanco. It's white. But the Bacardi Añejo is aged in barrels, four years. And so it's a blend of rums aged for a minimum of four years under the Caribbean sun. Unique taste, nice soft golden color. Let me go ahead and pour some into my snifter here. There we go. Nice golden caramel hue. Mmm, some nice sweetness. Very. I'm getting a little vanilla, almost a little, mm, a little honey. Just some sweetness on the nose. Very, very nice. Let me say cheers. We'll take a sip. Mmm. Oh, ooh, smooth. Wow. So I'm getting some cinnamon on the right on the tip of my tongue. Mm. Some molasses, nice sweetness, tad bit of oak, but not overpowering, not a lot of warmth. This is very pleasant. This is a perfect accompaniment to my La Polina Black Label Maduro. Very nice. Suggested retail for the Cardi Añejo is about 25 bucks, and that compares to maybe about 17 bucks, 15, 17, 18 dollars for just the regular Bacardi Superior, which is their, they call it their Carta Blanca, which is basically their, their white rum. You would not use this Bacardi Añejo in a mixed cocktail. You certainly could. I'd recommend, if you're making a pina colada, you're not going to put this, this is top shelf. Use the Bacardi Superior. You're going to use a, a white or a Blanco in your libation because this is really meant for just sipping with a cigar after dinner. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. A wonderful combination. Now, good news. Those of you that are members of the Officers Club, we have confirmed the December selection is in-house. It is available. We will be shipping probably mid-month. It is the Alec Bradley Magic Toast. Two Toros and one Gordo. A nice 6 by 60 Magnum size. As you know, there's been back orders left and right in the cigar manufacturing business. The latest report I received is that in Nicaragua, rollers are quitting left and right trying to illegally cross the border into the United States. Honduras isn't as much of a problem, but Nicaragua has become a huge problem. And the manufacturers have had a tough time uh, uh, training new rollers, keeping up with the losses, so back orders all over the place. And that's why our shipments have been sporadic. Our feeling was we didn't want to delay. I would rather just not charge our members and then have to wait four weeks, five weeks for the cigars to finally come in. But good news, the Alec Bradley Magic Toast is in the Alec Bradley warehouse. It is ready, or will be ready for shipping around mid-month. So let's talk about the Alec Bradley Toast. Interesting name, Magic Toast, where do they come up with? Well, Alan Rubin, the founder of Alec Bradley Cigars, Ralph Montero, who runs the show, they were in Honduras. And they were looking at some of the Honduran tobacco. It was night. Night was the sun was setting. 
and they finally they took a couple of blends using that tobacco they're in the fields they light it up and it was out of the park so alan rubin said let's have a let's have a little cocktail and let's uh let's have a toast and so they called it magic toast that's it very interesting combination the wrapper is Honduran. The binder is a double binder, Honduras and Nicaragua. The filler, Honduras and Nicaragua. It is manufactured at Fabrica de Tabacos Reces Cubana in Honduras. Beautiful cigars, loads of flavor. This is buttery smooth. It is on the medium to full-bodied side. This goes perfectly with any type of whiskey, any type of scotch, any type of bourbon. So that will be our selection. So for those of you that are members, good news, you will be receiving the Alec Bradley Magic Toast, two Toros, and a Gordo, nice 6x60 Magnum size. And we will see. We're waiting confirmation for January and February. Again, if it's too delayed then we will just uh, uh, not bill all of our members. We want to make sure that all of our members get their cigars in a timely manner. We don't want long delays, so I'd rather just not uh, not have a, sh a, a selection on a particular month if that is going to be the case. But for December, good way to end the year with the Alec Bradley Magic Toast. All the information on joining the Officers Club is at CigarDave.com. Just uh, click on Officers Club, and it is all there. All right, when we come back, final and concluding segment, we'll talk about meat some uh, a study about meat and also a new type of meat that the FDA is approving and I am not on board and I'm not a fan and we'll talk about a beta bad date tale as the final concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave show comes your way next question I receive most from connoisseurs general what is the newest cigar that I should try easy answer right now it's the Gurkha Revenant very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers, a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balance smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand-new Gurkha Revenant, available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Like a wolf feasting on a sheep's carcass, the general viciously shreds the enemies of pleasure and licks his blood-soaked chops with the taste of victory. Nothing like the taste of victory. And I will tell you, this La Polina Black uh, Label, Maduro, nothing like the taste of this, along with my Bacardi Añejo Cuatro four-year aged rum. Beautiful combination. Another combination I love, especially for dinner, is meat that is grilled or is prepared cast iron along with a fine libation. You can't go wrong. And we have heard over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, don't eat meat, red meat, bad for you. We know that processed meats aren't so great. A lot of sodium, a lot of other garbage. But red meat, natural red meat from a cow that... Men have been eating, and men and women have been eating, humans have been eating for thousands of years. This goes back to the caveman days. The caveman would go out, hunt for the meat, would uh, then 
get the meat all taken off the uh, the animal and then bring it home for the little lady in the cave, just kind of like the Flintstones. You know, Fred Flintstone would go out, get the meat, and Wilma would go ahead and cook it and take care of the meat. Pretty simple game. And we've heard the last 10, 20, oh, don't eat red meat, it's terrible. Yeah, everybody should go to a plant-based diet. Nah, no thank you. And over the last 20 years, we heard people saying, oh, no, fat's not good for you. And what do they replace it with? Sugar. The worst possible product for you to consume. Terrible for everything in your body. Sugar, on a limited basis, is okay. But when you look at all these products loaded with sugar, not good. So natural red meat, a nice steak on the grill, is fine. New study coming out saying new research shows that red meat is not a health risk. And this new research slamming the past studies as lazy. And for years, we've heard these researchers, and especially these vegans, spew this nonsense about it's terrible to eat meat, it's not good for your health, even though people have been eating meat for hundreds and thousands of years. A group of researchers and health scientists at the University of Washington have looked back over decades of research on red meat consumption, and what they have found is the evidence is too weak to support claims that eating meat is bad for you. And they said that every year, hundreds of what they call lazy studies have been published that act as a weak attempt to link certain actions to health risks and disease. You have to remember one thing. The enemies of pleasure, the food police, the vegans, to them, they will lie anything to advance their agenda. It's like the Democrats and the liberals. They will blatantly lie. Even when the evidence suggests something contrary to what they're saying, they will blatantly lie. Look at Joe Biden. The Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Oh, it was all Russia, Russia, Russia. And what was it, 50 intelligence agency, former intelligence agency, high-ranking officials signed a letter saying, don't believe it, it's Russian disinformation. Well, that's all bullshit. That's been proved to be not true. That laptop is 100% true. Verified. I love CBS. Last week comes out and says, we have verified that the Hunter laptop is true. We took it to an expert in Minneapolis, and he authenticated the voice on one of the voicemails is Joe Biden himself. Really? We knew about that two and a quarter years ago, but now they're just waking up because they know when the evidence comes out. When the Republicans are doing their investigations in Congress now, they'll look like a bunch of horses' asses. And they look even worse now that they've come out and said, oh, we verified it two and a half years or two and a quarter years after the case. But you have to remember, the enemies of pleasure, the food police, they will blatantly lie to advance their cause. To them, the ends justifies the means. They will manipulate studies. They will play with what's called the confidence interval so that they can somehow make some weak association. And as we have seen, this group of researchers, University of Washington, saying their methods are sloppy, full of inconsistencies, and they are inaccurate. So there is no real evidence to suggest that red meat is bad for you, that it's tied to health risks. Enjoy a steak. Put it on the grill. Have some vegetables. If you cut out the sugars, the real enemy. I mean, think about it. Morning breakfast cereals. Just go and look at them. Look, when I was a kid, I loved Captain Crunch and, uh, and, and, and all the other great cereals that were out at the time. But when you look at the amount of sugar that's in there, that's the worst possible thing. You are better off to have a steak in the morning for breakfast. You heard people say, oh, I'm going to have a little steak and eggs. Turns out they were right. And all these vegans and enemies of pleasure and pleasure police and food police 
are wrong. And here's another thing that's wrong coming, uh, coming our way. The FDA has declared that laboratory-grown chicken is safe to eat. When the FDA tells you that something is safe, that means stay away. Danger, danger, Will Robinson, danger, stay away. They approve the clot shot. They approve the Wuhan vaccines. It is now being proven. The vaccines causing, causing massive amounts of health issues, causing cardiac and vascular events, clotting. We're seeing young people, 15, 16, 18, 20, 30, 40, all in good health, just dropping dead. The number of adverse reactions to the vaccine have been suppressed, but they are all out there. The FDA is nothing more than a, an organization to get money and prop up the, the pharmaceutical industry and the health industry. Big pharma, big health, evil pharma. And if you look at the revolving door of all the FDA commissioners and all the people that uh, work at the FDA and the U.S. Department of uh, Health, Health and uh, uh, HHS, it's a revolving door back and forth to all these other groups. They go serve, then they get a nice big cushy gig. They're on the board of directors. Scott Gottlieb's a perfect example. Scott Gottlieb, the former commissioner of the FDA, now he's on the board of Pfizer, on the board of all these other companies, raking in huge money, seven figures from all these various companies. Why? Because he was their guy at the FDA. It's all a one giant swamp-infested club. So now the FDA declaring that laboratory-grown chicken is safe. The FDA said a few weeks ago that specifically, this pertains specifically to cultivated chicken produced by a California startup called Upside Foods. And they are, it's now known as synthetic meats. I don't want synthetic meat. I don't want tofu meat. I want real meat. I want real chicken. And again, nobody knows the long-term effects on this nonsense. Just like the FDA said, yeah, take the vaccine. It's fine. It'll stop the spread. Well, that was all nonsense. In order to manufacture its meat, Upside Foods harvest cells from chicken tissues and grows edible chicken flesh under controlled conditions in bioreactors. Does that so sound like something you'd want to eat? A chicken made in a bioreactor? Of course, Upside Foods insists that the cultivated flesh is identical to that which comes from conventionally raised and slaughtered chickens. Dozens of bigger food companies hope to create their own homegrown meat. No, thank you. I will tell you right now that the skepticism level from consumers will be so great that I don't care how much of this garbage they put on the shelves and how cheap it is, people will not buy it. I don't want cultivated meat grown in a bioreactor. I don't want cultivated chicken grown in a bioreactor. I do not want cultivated fish or shrimp or stone crabs or lobster grown in a bioreactor. I don't want it, and neither will the American consumer. But the FDA says it is safe to eat, which means it is absolutely unsafe. Stay away. We'll go with our regular slaughtered cow, get a nice ribeye, a nice New York strip, a nice tomahawk chop. We'll put it on the grill. We want nothing grown on a bi in a bioreactor. Everything should be grown on a farm.
Lastly, this is an interesting tale. A woman, young woman, probably in her early 20s, shared a dating experience that she had. She went on a coffee date. The woman's name is Chelsea Murphy. And she posted on TikTok. What's interesting is she posted a long video about her date. As soon as she got back into her car, how bad it was. And then it was pulled after like 6 million views. I don't know why she pulled it. But it, and who knows? Maybe she got too much feedback. But it's interesting. This woman asked on a date. Guy pursued her, asked her out on a coffee date. And in the video, she's sitting in her car in the parking lot of the coffee shop after the bad date. And this just shows you this is a perfect example of an absolute weak beta. This is a beta bad date tale. And this is an absolute abject lesson in what has happened to the, to the American male. It's become wussified and betafied. So she sits in her car. She said, I went on this coffee date for 20 minutes. She got up and left. She said, I walked in. The guy was sitting down. He was already drinking his coffee. She said, I was a few minutes late because I had to find a parking spot. So she found the guy, joined her date at the table he had chosen. She looked at the line. The line is out the door around the block. She said it was crazy. She said to the date, the line's so long. And he says, yeah, I know the line's crazy. She said she was surprised her date didn't have the presence of mind to order her a coffee or to offer to wait in line with her. She's like, okay. Well, maybe I'll wait for it to die down. We can get up there. But the line never died down. And every time Chelsea Murphy checked, the line was just as long. He says, well, you can wait in line. I could come up with you, but we might have this seat. And I like this seat. At that point, Chelsea Murphy says, I'm, I'm just outraged, confused why he didn't offer to get me a coffee. She said, you asked me out on a date. You were pursuing me heavily. And you don't get me a coffee? You don't offer to wait in line for me to get a coffee? She said, I'm just baffled. She tried to make small talk conversation for 20 minutes. Finally, she tells her date she's going to leave, explains she's disappointed he didn't offer to get her coffee. The man apologizes. She said she had enough. And she says in her, in her video, don't wait on a date if you're not feeling it. If you feel like this is a waste of your time, end it. Why endure it further? She is 100% right. But this is what has happened to the American, to the American male. It has become wussified. It has become weak. It has become stupid. Now, what would a normal, smart alpha do? The line is long. You're waiting for your date. You're going to get a coffee. What do you do? You call her on the phone or you text her. I'm in line. The line is huge. What can I get you? She may reply with a soy mocha latte frappuccino or some of those exotic drinks, fine, you order it, you have it at the table, now everything starts off well, oh, here's your coffee, I order it the way you wanted, wonderful. That's what a smart thinking alpha male does. But we have produced in this country weak, wussified beta males that are too stupid to use common sense and are too rude. Now look, coffee dates, not a bad thing, or a cocktail date, no problem. And the reason I say this is, and you know this, if a woman is attracted to you, it doesn't matter whether you buy her a $3 Starbucks coffee, a $30 TGI Friday's meal, or a $300 five-star Michelin five-star restaurant meal. If a woman is attracted to you, she'll know in the first 15 seconds, it doesn't matter what you buy her. 
And the mistake that I see from so many men is they will take women out. They'll spend big money. They'll take them to a five-star dinner. Then they'll take them here. Next thing you know, they've dropped five, $600. And at the end of the night, they get a kiss on the cheek and that's it. Bad return on investment. To me, coffee's fine. I like a cocktail better. I like late afternoon. Because if it is a good date, then it can proceed to maybe a moderate dinner. You don't have to go crazy. And who knows from there. But I will tell you this, that an alpha male sitting in that same position would have immediately, while seeing the huge line, would have called or texted the date and said, what may I get you? You're a guy that's pursuing this dame. You're not spending a ton of money. Maybe even if she orders the top of the line, most exotic drink at Starbucks. I order just regular black coffee, decaf, that's it, medium. What, two, three bucks. All right, even if her drink is six, seven bucks. That is a low investment with a possible high maximum return. And even if it's terrible, the date's lousy, five minutes you want to get up, hey, you spend eight, ten bucks, big deal. Very different than spending three, four hundred dollars or even a hundred dollars for a meal. And then you have to sit there and it's horrible. But be an alpha male. Don't be stupid. The alpha male would have done the right thing. And what I would have told the Chelsea Murphy is, you waited too long. Had you gone there and there was nothing, he didn't text you, didn't call you, didn't offer to go in line, I would have said, thank you, but no thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Because right then and there, the first red flag came up that he is a weak, wussified, stupid beta male. Women hate weak, wussified, stupid beta males. That's why all of us that are smart, intelligent, proactive alpha males have the advantage and do so well. So the moral of the story is, and I know we have many females that listen, if you see a wussified beta male, get up, run, hit the eject button, get out, abort, leave. But to me, how stupid can someone be where there's a huge line, you know you have a date, and you don't offer to get her coffee, and you're not even going to offer to stand in line? That is what we call a schmuck. All right, hopefully the United States has beaten the Netherlands' advances in the World Cup. We will see what happens. As always, make sure you follow us on social media, Twitter, at Cigar Dave Show, Facebook, Cigar Dave, Getter, Cigar Dave, Truth Social, Cigar Dave, Instagram, Cigar Dave, and website, Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com, email, Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com. Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ash, be extra, extra long. Semper show always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. Ciao, ciao.